Hello, I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by the award-winning free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. This is the second part of my conversation with leading sports and eating disorder specialist dietitian with over 20 years experience working in clinical and performance nutrition, Rini McGregor, on orthorexia, when healthy eating goes bad, which is the name of the book Rini wrote about this eating disorder. Put simply, orthorexia nervosa is a disordered eating pattern that is characterized by the need to eat clean and pure foods to the point that the individual becomes obsessed with this way of life. Eight of the most common symptoms found in an orthorexic include, number one, a fixation over the quality of food. Individuals living with orthorexia are extremely focused and obsessive over the quality and purity of their food. Individuals with this condition often limit or eliminate fast or processed foods, always opting for organic, farm fresh, whole, raw or vegan. Number two, inflexible eating patterns. Someone with orthorexia is likely incredibly rigid with their food consumption. Anything considered by the individual to be bad or healthy will likely be avoided. Number three, severe emotional turmoil if rules are broken. If someone strays from their rigid eating patterns or from their strict self-prescribed exercise regime, severe anxiety, distress, shame, guilt or depression typically follow. Number four, cutting out entire food groups. Elimination of entire food groups is a very common occurrence for orthorexics. For example, processed foods, sugar, meat, dairy products, carbohydrates, or gluten. Number five, compulsive checking of ingredient lists and nutritional labels. Number six, constant worry about sickness or disease. Back to the whole good versus bad foods, many individuals with orthorexia believe they will fall ill if they consume foods that are not whole or clean, often considering these foods to be poison. To them, the risk of these foods causing sickness or diseases although mostly unfounded, far outweighs eating that specific food. Number seven, anxiety simply being around certain foods. Someone with orthorexia might feel an intense need to separate themselves from their forbidden foods. Unfortunately, isolating is a common avoidance technique for those with orthorexia. Skipping social events that will have these fear foods often leading to depression and intensified thought disturbances and behaviours. And number eight, obsessive following of food and, I'm air quoting, healthy lifestyle blogs on social media. The good news is that recovery is possible from orthorexia, as you're soon to hear. And we pick up the conversation with Rini giving some examples of the most common elimination food groups found amongst orthorexics and the terrible harm that this can do to our bodies. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. And just to let people get their heads around a little bit more orthorexia, and I'm going to again go back to your book, Orthorexia When Healthy Eating Goes Bad, I really appreciated that you sort of broke down as a way of helping to, I guess, 
digest the information. You broke down the most typical, I don't know if the right word is motives for restriction, but basically like cutting out carbs, cutting out sugar, going fat-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, plant-based fasting. You would think again that if somebody is into healthy eating that they would know that we need healthy fats, carbs, and proteins. And so if you could help us get our heads round, if there's no medical reason for eliminating some of the mentioned, what kind of harm are we doing to our body? If you wouldn't mind sharing a couple of examples of how this elimination where we think we're doing it to be healthy could actually be bad. So I think the low carb is probably the best one to start with because it's still very, very popular. Carbohydrates are still fear food for many people. And I think it's really important to understand that carbohydrates are, they are essential for health in the sense of our body needs carbohydrate to function appropriately. So firstly, our brain needs glucose to work. Our brain doesn't work if it doesn't have glucose. You know, 25% of our energy intake is used by our brain. And all of that has to be in the form of glucose. So fundamentally, if we have carbohydrates, we break them down into glucose and that can be delivered to our brain. Now, protein and fat can be broken down into glucose, but it's a much more complicated and slower process and it doesn't deliver as quickly. So firstly, that's a really important thing to remember. The other thing about carbohydrate is it's really, really important, particularly for females, for their hormonal health. So again, we've often been told that fats are really important for our hormonal health. Fats are important in making steroid hormones, but they're not needed to actually sort of regulate hormones, whereas carbohydrates are essential for regulating female hormone health and, and hormone cycles. They are important for, for men as well, but it's much more specific for for women you know and then the other thing about carbohydrates particularly if we are focusing on things like your whole grain carbohydrates what we do tend to recommend 100% is that that's really important for your gut biome if you don't have a healthy gut biome then we know there are now numerous associations with poor gut health poor immunity poor gut health poor mental health so we know there are direct links between that grain that gut brain axis that is really relevant. So if you remove a whole food group like carbohydrate, you have the tendency to disrupt your internal world quite significantly. And although you might not notice it immediately, over time that is going to become apparent. So that's mm. that's one thing to, to think about. About carbohydrates, the conversation between whole grain versus white, like if we take pasta or rice as an example, I remember you saying that whole whole grain is, if you can, then that's always better, but actually the white is still okay when it comes to eating rice. Because again, that's messaging that we've had rammed down our throats, pun intended, avoid, avoid, avoid the white. Yeah, but then I was actually talking to uh, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, I suppose, about this, and he was like, Oh, because he's a, a golf uh, instructor and he was like, yeah, I've been listening to, you know, quite a few podcasts recently where they've been sort of saying to not be as frightened about the white stuff as what we have been told. Yeah. So the reason why we promote whole grain is because whole grain has got more fiber, which again influences our gut biome, but also there is other important aspects of fiber from, you know, even our digestive health. So that's, and, and the majority of people in the UK and probably in the US as well, won't be getting enough fiber through their diet. So that that's why the whole grain is recommended. 
also whole grain because it's keeping the whole grain in we're not removing some of those vitamins the b vitamins in particular that sometimes when you don't have whole grain through processing as in not i'm not saying it's a processed food but through the processing of removing the whole grain you then also lose some of those vitamins and minerals so they you could say they're not quite as nutrient dense however white pasta versus whole grain pasta in terms of energy exactly the same in terms of the amount of carbohydrate they provide exactly the same the difference is that potentially white carbohydrate will break down a little bit quicker in the body than whole grain so depending on one what you're going to consume it with so if you're adding pesto to your pasta it's not going to make a difference because pesto is you know high source of um good fats and um basil and and cheese and stuff so obviously that's going to slow down the release of everything anyway so a lot of it also depends on what you're combining it with but there are also certain situations where we need quick release carbohydrates so if you're actually having white pasta is probably going to be more beneficial to you than having whole grain at times because you might want that energy available at a much faster rate so there's, there's definitely none of this like I know like the whole thing that gets carried away is this whole you know if you have white flour you have white pasta you you know white carbohydrates it spikes your insulin it spikes your glucose and this is where all the negative press comes from it mm. Can I just say that it's not just food that causes our blood sugars to fluctuate stress is the number one cause of blood glucose fluctuating so if you're not eating enough or you're not providing your body with sufficient amounts of energy that it needs that is going to generate stress we go back to that cortisol that stress hormone that's elevated and that is going to cause fluctuations in your blood sugars that's why we see people having these big rises so yes our blood sugars do change when we eat, but nowhere near as much as people think, because we have pancreases, we have insulin, and the whole role of insulin is to help drop that uh, blood sugar, high blood sugar, and start to absorb some of that carbohydrate back into the body because we need it in that moment. Mm. But it also helps us to absorb protein. It also helps us to absorb the fats that we need that it's not a bad hormone it gets such a bad press but it's not so yes the reason why carbohydrates get a bad press is that it's very easy to consume easily digestible carbohydrates like sugar it's really easy to consume you know anything that's got table sugar in it is going to taste good it's going to basically be Mm. probably not that nutrient dense and it is going to be very easy for us to consume does that mean we should never have it absolutely not but you might need to be mindful of when you choose to have it. So, you know, I don't avoid sugar in my diet, but I don't eat it breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, it's it's something that perhaps, you know, if I'm I'm having a yogurt after my lunch, then there may be some sugar in my yogurt. Or if I'm having natural yogurt, I might add honey to it because it makes it taste a bit better. But I'm not going to panic about having sugar in my diet because there's no harm in having a small amount of sugar in our diet as long as it's like the smallest you know it provides us with the least amount of energy throughout the day for our mm-hmm. overall day there's no harm in consuming it and the one other thing i want to just point out is there's really no difference but i don't really understand where this term refined and non-refined sugar came from because there's no difference sugar is sugar whether it's honey molasses brown white maple syrup 
it's all the same product. It's all the same. It's the same. It provides the same amount of energy. It has the same effect on your body. Your body can't tell the difference. So if you're going to have sugar, just have sugar. Wow. Again, you're blowing my mind, really, because... I guess we are just we are just so conditioned, aren't we, that we just accept it. And I suppose it's like anything. And you say to make a habit, you've got to do it every day. Right. And I guess it's the same with messaging. If we're like seeing it every day, we might not even know that we're absorbing it. But then it suddenly becomes a belief. Like I still I you're the perfect person to ask about this, actually. That there was a diet plan that came out and was quite a few years back, a lot of years back, I think, where it, this whole thing was don't eat proteins and carbs at the same time. So I can see you smiling. So like you do proteins and vegetable one day and then the next day you do your carbohydrates and vegetables. I can't even remember the name of the diet plan. God, I must be going back like 15, 20 years. I think, I think it might be the Cambridge diet or something like that. I do remember it. Yeah, and then... Yeah. And and a few times, like, since I've thought about it, because I've looked at my plate and been like, oh, I've got protein, carbs, and veg, and, like, I'm going to eat it because I know it's all healthy stuff, but actually, am I supposed to be? <laughs> yes, is the answer. You are. Because you are. it is really important. Like, if we have, you know, combining our food is a really good way of helping the body cope with the load of nutrients that are coming through. So we go back to, you know, if you if you are worried about carbohydrate, for example, if you are worried that you've got a potato on your plate or you've got a white pasta on your plate, if you're combining that with a piece of chicken or a piece of fish or some tofu or what, you know, and you've got your veg there, you've got components there that all help you to slow down the release of glucose into the body through that carbohydrate and actually help you to sustain your energy for a lot longer so Mm. there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't eat carbs and protein together or carbs and fat together or you know actually eating them in isolation doesn't really the way i think one of the best ways to look at it is that the human body is a series of chemical reactions that are constantly going on at the same time so it's not like you know that whole aspect of eating carbs and eating protein is almost like you're trying to compartmentalize i can assure you I can assure you that that diet plan was probably made up by a man because a man does tend to compartmentalize a lot better. But I think you can't do that with food. You know, the the human body is not going to compartmentalize. The body is constantly monitoring. As we sit here talking, whatever we have consumed for breakfast this morning, our body has kind of worked out what it's needed it's directed the the nutrients to our brain and to muscles and to whatever else our body needs to do today and it's constantly monitoring and it's getting to the point like mine is definitely now getting to the point where it's like okay your blood sugar is definitely starting to drop it must be time for lunch like I can feel that you know happening and Mm -hmm. it's telling me it's time to eat again your body needs fuel again so the human body is is constantly in charge it knows Mm -hmm. what it's doing but and I think we had this conversation last time. We just choose not to listen. We're so obsessed with external cues yeah. and the media. Yeah, or we're frightened to listen. Yeah. Because, because, like, what if we're on the fasting diet and it's yeah. like the next day and it's 11 a.m., but we're supposed to fast until 12 or 1? We ignore what our body's saying, right? And by ignoring it, you then also lose the ability to 
tap into the messaging that is going on. So we know that if we ignore our hunger signals, and if we do that for a very long time, then we we no longer can, can work out when we're hungry and when we're not hungry. So, you know, it's really important to try and go back to basics, which is responding to your body. And I said, right, you know, a few months ago, if you respect and nurture your body, if you nourish it properly, mm. it works for you. It's when we decide that we need to control it, when actually the body is in control, it knows what it needs, it knows what it wants, it's mm. constantly telling you, like, you know, I, I, sometimes when I'm working with individuals that do have severe anorexia, for example, they'll constantly talk about this anxiety. You know, I'll say to them, you know, do you realize that not eating is the cause of that anxiety? When we don't eat, the brain is under pressure is under threat it's like there's something wrong yeah the thing that's wrong is i'm not getting enough energy and it's then constantly sending out information that there's something wrong and and the body you know the body's response to threat is anxiety so although they might think the anxiety is related to life the yeah. anxiety is related to the internal world that's not being it's not being pacified it's not being looked after Wow. Well, this leads me on perfectly to a question that uh, Chloe Hodgkinson, who runs all our social channels, and, and and she actually introduced me to you. She herself is very passionate about like training and fueling. And she had a question for me to ask you. She said, could I ask Greeny about the anxious brain and under eating connection? I was a little bit lost, but I'm sure that you're not. But I did think she raised a valid point about when our mental health is suffering, if we're stressed or anxious, our relationship to food can change. And maybe, our, um, like you said, the natural body cues, we might not even realise when we're hungry because we're in pain. Heartbreak, another example. But how does that relate to an orthorexic? So with orthorexia, potentially, if you are not providing your body with all the nutrients it needs. So if, for example, you have eliminated carbohydrate or you've eliminated dairy or you have gone plant-based but actually are still not providing your body with quite enough energy overall, that is then going to send a signal to the brain to say there's not enough energy here. Um, So that will start to have a negative effect on how we feel and how we think. So you know, like the brain, like I said, the brain needs glucose. It needs glucose to work properly. If you look at MRI scans of the brain, it is a really intricate series of neural pathways with gray matter and white matter. And all of that is necessary for all those connections to happen for things like, you know, us to move our fingers and us to be able to think. And, you know, we've got all these different parts of our brain. We've got the frontal cortex that helps us to think clearly. We have the limbic brain, which is associated with our feelings. Like we have all these different areas in our brain and they all need to be fed well in order to work. And feeding is energy, but it is other nutrients as well. So we we do need things like B vitamins. We do need things like choline. We do need things... Um, like essential fatty acids, like these are all important to nurture the brain. And we're seeing more and more information. It's not my massive area of expertise, the, the, the kind of brain and nutrition, but we are seeing more and more research that is showing us that, you know, if we are limiting our body of certain key nutrients, then this can have 
long-term effects. So we know that if you're not getting enough omega-3, particularly if you haven't through your um, childhood, then that can have a negative effect on your overall cognition, for example. And then the person to talk to about that would, would be Kimberly Wilson, because she is the person when it comes to brain and nutrition. Um, okay. And I'm always learning from her. But when it comes to what Chloe's asking, so when your body is in fundamentally in low energy availability, where there's not enough energy for the body to fully function properly. So it's got enough to do activity, but then there's not enough left over to do the biological function and the brain being one of those key aspects of biological function, then it means it's not getting the nutrition it needs. So as I said, it will generate this sense of anxiety because it's under threat that there's something wrong. But also we do, if it's chronic, you will start to see structural changes in the brain. You will see the white and gray matter disappearing. And that then means that those connections and those neural pathways can't happen as efficiently. So this is why sometimes you can't think clearly. This is why you your mood starts to become affected, because, again, the receptors in the brain change. So you can't absorb the serotonin, the tryptophan, the things, the estrogen, the things that we need to feel good. We don't absorb them as well. And then we might end up with more addictive and dysfunctional behavior because you know when we have certain behaviors like sugar like exercise like drugs like alcohol this lights up the dopamine in our brain and that's that oh i feel good but it's temporary and so we go back and we want to do that again and again and again and again because that's the only way we can feel good so so the problem is when people realize that there's a problem with a with a food or a behavior they will remove that but they don't realize that they still have to fix the underlying mm. problem of why they need that dopamine hit if that makes sense yeah it does and it's making me think that like you know you get the adverts that say suffering from fatigue low mood da, 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 da. and then it's like take this out of your diet but it's making me think well what if you're already lacking in something and then you take out something else and then just, yeah, I can see why you can go down a very dark path with, with all this stuff, thinking that you're actually self-improving, self-healing or whatever. I just wanted to make sure I share this more for the benefit of the listeners because I know you'll already know this, but in terms of like social media and just like the beginnings of orthorexia nervosa, It was first proposed by Dr. Stephen Bratman in the late 1990s. The first social media site was born in 1997. That was 6degrees.com. Blog usage spread during 1999 and the years following. MySpace arrived in 2003, Facebook 2004, YouTube 2005, and so on. I mean, talk about hand in hand. So it's the messaging and, you know, you've you've said this before and in your book and the primary healthcare are very conscious as well about like, who are you getting your information from? And you again, going back to Davina as an example, she, she wrote a book on eliminating sugar. Where did she get that research from? Because now we can all call ourselves experts or researchers. And I think just to add to that, it's really difficult, even if you do your homework, you know, okay, yeah. you can definitely separate a celebrity from a professional, but there are also a number of people who are so-called professionals 
Mm. But actually their role now is very much content creation and marketing mm. a brand. You know, this is something that I have seen a lot in the last, probably last three or four years, a number of health professionals like myself, like, you know, people who have got the title, but don't tend to have the experience. So not me, obviously, because I do have mm. the experience. I don't tend to have the experience and have decided that this is where they're going to set their business up. So you know, they may well qualify as a medic, they may well qualify as a dietitian, they may well qualify as a nutritionist, or whatever. But they don't go and do the work. So you know, from my point of view, like I started life off in 1999 as a, as a dietitian that basically worked on the wards in the NHS for several years, like working with all sorts of illnesses and clinical conditions. And then over time, I then did further degrees and moved into sports nutrition. But again, have had all these amazing opportunities working in the field of play with teams, with athletes. And then, you know, consequently, I've now got my own consultancy. And it's actually in the back of, it was actually the publication of orthorexia that was the first time I went and joined Instagram because I was encouraged by my publishing company to have a public profile on social media, which I'd never had before. So I had right. done anything about social media before 2017. Like that was when I joined um, and kind of wish I'd never had. But anyway, that's a different <laughs> But obviously from that, I've then become this voice of reason that a lot of people... Yeah. You've given me permission to enjoy having a cup of tea and toast. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> but I think, I think we have to be, yeah, we have to be really careful. There are others, there are other health professionals, and I say that with real caution, but people who have the label, but have probably never done the work because their job has always been content creation. So the difficulty and the danger with that is one, is that they are still basing their information on theory rather than actual human interaction and human behavior and, and human understanding, you know, yeah. reasoning. And two, that they're still very much fixated on promoting their brand. Their brand is their income. So that is what they have to do. So then they don't always have a moral compass. And that terrifies mm. because how does someone, how does somebody young, how does somebody who doesn't have a clue, you know, you can kind of, one thing you could, there's, there's something about saying, okay, well, I won't just that celebrity because she's a celebrity. But if you're looking at somebody who calls themselves a medic on social media and they're spouting all this information, how do you know yeah. that they are not okay? You don't. Yeah. And I think I got asked this question a few weeks ago as I was doing a presentation in at Cambridge University and they said, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we know if someone is, is credible or not from a, from a health professional point of view? And I said, the only thing I can really say is that health professionals that are respected in their profession are often invited to speak at kind of industry wide conferences because their information and their, you know, their, their, their knowledge is mm. wanted throughout the profession. So, mm. and that's, that was one of the only answers I could give them fundamentally. Yeah, it still feels very new, all of this. I know we've got to wrap things up, so let's go to recovery real quick. In your experience working with orthorexics, how do you get them to that realisation point? I mean, you've certainly helped me get to quite a few on different things. 
without suffering from it. But it, I bet I would imagine it's something that people cling on to. No, I can't. Or there's a fear of reintroducing the food, perhaps. So let me ask you, you've changed your way of eating on the back of some of our conversations. Mm. Has anything awful happened? <laughs> no, no, not at all. So that's the thing, right? You had a number of beliefs around certain foods, let's say carbs, particularly. Well, and- yeah, because for anybody that didn't listen to our last episode, it's called Strong on the Inside and on the Outside with Reenie McGregor. But yeah, we talked about rice because I was in India and um, doing my yoga teacher training for a month and had rice literally every single meal. Yeah. Well, you had yeah. a belief system that you had generated, probably from information that you had received and read and, you know, your brain had decided that was something you needed to... Yeah, yeah, carb fear. Mm. Yeah. And yet you trusted and actually, lo and behold, nothing awful has happened to you. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of it is about helping people to understand what their beliefs are and where they come from and then helping them to unpick those, but also then to support them through the change in behavior that's needed alongside because unless you change the behavior and realize you no longer need to hold the belief you're you're not going to be able to to do it so i think it it tends to be a bit of a a combination of often individuals do need to go and have therapy as well at the same time because as i said right at the beginning none of this is about food in the in the of things a lot of it is about that belief system around who they are and and what their place is in the world and, and how they're perceived. So they need to go and do that side of stuff, absolutely. But equally at the same time, we need to help them to improve their relationship with food by myth busting fundamentally. So I often get mm-hmm. people to write their beliefs down and then I say, okay, go and find the evidence that this belief needs to be maintained. Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of start going through that. And that is kind of how we how we change it. So it's not quick, it's yeah. a slow process, but Often by the time people come to me, they are ready to change. They've had enough. They can see that their behaviors are impacting their health. Normally when I say health, they can see it's impacting their life in that they don't, they're not able to fully live. They are Mm -hmm. existing, but they're not living. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so yeah, that's kind of a a quick synopsis. Just in terms of myth busting, and you are a tremendous one. I'm so curious now about the whole lentil pasta, chickpea, you know, the, and again, I can see you smiling like cauliflower pizzas instead of the, like, do we need to be trading regular pasta for one that's made from like chickpea flour or lentil flour? No, no. Please, please ditch the cauliflower pizza. It can't be called pizza if it's made from a cauliflower base. <laughs> and do you still think almond milk is merely expensive water? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Rini, final thing. It's like a quick fire. I ask every guest in the new series. It's the Happier Life Project's last five in five. So it's five questions to to sort of close the show. And just thank you again so much for just being and I would call you a guru. Well, I don't know. I don't like I don't like being that term. I know, I know. It's 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 a lot of pressure to live up to, you know. Isn't that guru? Yeah. Okay. When and where are you at your happiest? In the mountains. What's your favorite thing to do that nourishes your mental health? Probably going up high. So running, hiking, just being outdoors. Yeah, being outdoors in, in the green space is really important for me. 
What piece of advice do you now know that you'd have wished somebody would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? There's nothing wrong with you. What is the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? It's never going to happen, but I wish we could eliminate social media. And finally, what is a simple, actionable step we can take when it comes to healthy eating without it tipping the scale into something unhealthy that will help us all on our quest to building a happier life? I tend to work on an 80-20 rule with most things, but also with food. So I will eat nutrient-dense foods 80% of the time. And then 20% of the time, I'll have whatever I fancy. And that seems to be a really good way of keeping balance. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rini. For more on you, your website is rinimcgregor.com. For more on you and all that you do, which is so much. Yeah, thank you again for two episodes, Rini. We've got two under our belt. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, it's Gabby back with you. Thank you again to the wonderful Rini McGregor for being so generous with her time so that we could make two episodes exploring orthorexia when healthy eating goes bad. And thank you to you for listening to this very episode of the podcast. Now for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, please call your doctor or the emergency services immediately. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. I know it gets said a lot on many, many podcasts. But if you are listening on one of the podcast platforms and you're not subscribed to the Happier Life Project, if you do enjoy the work that we do, please, please do that. It helps others to find us and uh, help many more people on their mental health journey. And if you've got some time to leave us a review, it always goes so much appreciated. To find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.